Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I'm today the host and creator, Maria Leonard Olson. I am a civil litigation attorney in Washington, DC, an author, journalist, radio show host, public speaker, and podcaster. If you haven't checked out my TEDx talk from City University of New York, please do. It's a numbers game, folks. If you hit the like button, it helps to raise its visibility. And I think my TEDx talk on using life challenges as a force for good has the ability to help lots of people. So please consider hitting the like button on that. Today, I have an incredible guest who you are going to love. I am not even sure how I came across her material because it is fantastic. Do yourself a favor and go to lisaluca.com, L-U-C-C-A, and check out this extraordinary woman's offerings. She has a radio show. She has a coaching business. She is someone you will want in your life. We just had a fabulous conversation about some things going on in my life that she absolutely clarified uh, what I was thinking, but I need to talk back to the negative voices in my head. And this angel just appeared on my screen and talked me off the figurative ledge. Lisa Luca is an author of Ashes to Ink, a memoir, and co-author of an epistolary memoir called You Are Loved. She wrote that with her partner, Mark Mathias. She was a Blogger 17 Voice of the Year honoree and is published in several publications and anthologies, most recently in the collection called Crone Rising. Lisa's weekly public radio show, Live True, has streamed globally since 2019. Her 15-year career in the entertainment industry included positions at Lucasfilm and in production management on a world tour with Janet Jackson. She has been a life coach and speaker since 2004 with a focus on empowering women to live true to who they are, especially in midlife and beyond. She and Mark live in the high desert mountains of Southern New Mexico. You can find her material again at lisaluca.com, on Facebook at Lisa Luca Writer, on Instagram at lisa.luca, and on Twitter at Lisa Luca Writer. And if you don't have a pen, all of this is in the show notes, so take a look. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. What well, a great intro. <laughs> thank you. Well, you are an extraordinary woman, and I'm so happy our paths have crossed. So I would love to know, how do you go from living in the Bay Area, doing these really fun, fun things that not a lot of people get to do, being with Janet Jackson, doing Lucasfilms, doing all kinds of really cool things. How do you go from that to the desert highlands of New Mexico, <laughs> helping other women find their true selves and reclaim their power? How does that happen? Well, that's a really good question. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and moved to San Francisco, sight unseen at 21. 
And I had managed my boyfriend's band when I was 17, dropped out of high school and wanted to tour the world with rock stars. That was my dream. And so once I got to San Francisco, I worked in uh, at a recording studio and then got into, you know, an editing company that then led to Lucasfilm. So I had this entertainment background. But in the meantime, I was thrilled with the music scene. So I devoted a lot of my time to volunteering for things like In Concert Against AIDS and Earthquake Relief. And it was through those channels that I was able to get the job uh, doing production management for Janet. And then toured for a year, got to see the world and ran off with a good old boy, hi honey, <laughs> Rody, who was from Tennessee and landed in Nashville where I got married and had my son. And um, three years later, after the inevitable divorce, I moved back <laughs> to Chicago to raise him near my family. And it was, you know, at the end of that 18 years, living back in Chicago that I realized that I wanted to go back to California. And in the meantime, Mark and I had been friends for many, many years. And when I arrived back in the Bay Area, he ended up uh, just coming out of his marriage. So we got together at that point. And it was already, I was already a coach by that time. I had been laid off in uh, 2002, shortly after 9-11, right? Actually it was 2001 after 9-11. And so at that point, I reinvented my life in my early 40s as a life coach. I went and hired a life coach to talk to about my next career. I hated being, you know, in middle management, project manager, the kind of work that I had been doing while I was raising my son, because all the other work I did was not conducive to motherhood. And, um, I ended up saying, I want your job. So I went back to school to become a coach. So for the last 20 years, that's what I've done uh, to make a living and to make a life. I've finally opened up my own, you know, uh, dream palette and started, you know, writing and creating content and uh, got the radio show once Mark and I moved to New Mexico four years ago. Uh, and, and things like, like just, what do I want to say in the world? Who do I want to say it to? And since then, you know, I, I, I'm flourishing here in the desert with Mark and we're really living a creative lifestyle, which is absolutely imperative, I think, to being true to who you are. How inspirational. So many women in midlife that I know and beyond live small and they don't have the courage to actually open their dream palettes and go for it. So if you could um, maybe talk about how you found the strength and how you coach others to begin that journey. Yeah, you know, it's, it, and let me be really clear, I didn't have the resources that one would think you need to do the kind of things I did. I was a high school dropout. I didn't have any money. I left my husband with a hundred dollars and a three-year-old, you know? Wow. Um, those are the kinds of risk taking to be true to who you are that sometimes is necessary. And what I think is, while those all sound really painful, living in a life that you hate is more painful. 
Wow, profound words that are so true and have taken me 59 years to accept as truth. Yeah, you know, we can do hard things. And, and more than that, we, we actually can do things with less money than we think. I mean, I know that money seems to be the driving force in so many women's lives where they feel handcuffed to a life that they're not happy in because they don't think they can sustain life on their own. And I, I just have to say, you know, somehow we figure it out. And, and I think this is uniquely feminine in some ways because I think we are resilient and we're resourceful as women in ways that I don't see men being quite as resourceful mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And so I, I think we have to make choices about what it is that we really need and want and then act accordingly. And risk is scary. It's so, so scary. But I think it's scarier to never really fully develop who you are or even know who you are because you're afraid to look. Wow, you are a wise woman. Now, what you just said about men in general is something I agree with. But your husband likely has heard you said some say something like that. <laughs> what does he? What's his reaction when you say that? Because I personally believe society has done this. Society has done our generation of men a disservice in telling them they have to be tough. That showing emotion is weak and that's sad to me, but, uh, if you're comfortable, sure. What was your, what is your partner's reaction to those sorts of sentiments? Well, I think, I think he, he would agree on some level uh, and we're not married as Goldie Hawn says, it's hotter to be his girlfriend. We we've decided that we've (laughs) both been married and we don't, there's no real need to be married. Um, but I think for, for him, he has said over, many times over that he had to break out of being dependent on women too. you know, women in his own life and his, his marriage, he had a pretty dysfunctional marriage for 20 years. And, you know, it, it took him to be on his own, even though we were in each other's orbit to really, you know, I think men should live alone. I think we should all live alone at some point in our lives. I think it's a really powerful thing. And men particularly don't ever live completely alone. They live with roommates, they live with a woman, they live with their mother. And it's very rare, unless it's an older man who's lost a partner uh, to divorce or death, that you see a man living alone. So I think it's, so that for Mark, he would say, you know, that, that men need uh, the company of other men. And sometimes as young men, the uh, support of an unrelated older male in their life for support and, and guidance. But he would also say that, you know, he's seen women, strong women be, uh, you know, taking control in marriages, in families, in the workplace. And, you know, men need to man up, but also have the sensitivity to communicate who they are in a relationship with women. And I think we need to let them lead. As strong women, we need to sometimes let them lead. And I say let very specifically because it's real easy to be scrappy and live your life and do all the things and be a real strong woman. And we're all down with the empowerment. 
But at the same time, in relationship with men to truly have a partnership, it has to be a give and take. And I know in my marriages, you know, I was a battle axe kind of, you know, <laughs> like it was my way or we're all unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I feel at this particular juncture in my life. You know, you've told me a term that I had not been familiar with that I just love the FU 50s. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, if when you have a partner that you like, and you both have separate lives, separate from who you are as a couple, I mean, I think going into this third act, over 60, even over 55, where people are, you know, they've raised their families, or they've, they've had careers, or they're thinking about what retirement looks like. And a lot of us can't retire fully, like it used to be, you know, I'll be working forever. And I'm okay with that because this is part of who I am. And that's part of the, the live true piece is find out what really uh, is your strength and your passion and do that thing somehow in your life, like you're doing with these podcasts and the books that you write, all of that. It's, it's, you know, it's not work until you retire and then you watch Jeopardy and then you die. You know, it's not (laughs) like that anymore. And I think that that's a wonderful opportunity for elders to have a voice. I think it's really important. You know, we're one of the only cultures that does not revere our elders. So true. So true. I uh, come from a half Southeast Asian family and they, and my mother's side is baffled by the way Americans treat the older generation we have a lot to learn. We could learn from other cultures in which there are intergenerational relationships that really benefit everybody. Absolutely. And being here in, you know, the borderline, the borderland, we, we have a lot of Native American influence and Hispanic influence, and it's very different mm-hmm. culturally than, you know, where I grew up. Although in the Italian culture where I grew up, uh, mm-hmm you know, the, the parents, the grandparents, there is, there's a lot of love and a lot of uh, care for them. But I think as a culture, we need to really um, appreciate the, the wisdom of the elders and also make a choice as you get through your FU fifties, when you're hitting your sixties, do you want to get older or do you want to get elder? Oh, love that quote, older or elder. That's a gem. I had on this show and wrote actually a book review about Ellen Warner's recently published book called The Second Half, in which she has interviewed uh, 40 women about what they learned in the first half of their life that provided compost for the second half. Mm. And she's a internationally known photojournalist, and she interviewed people who are over 100 years old from cultures all over the world. And it was quite eye-opening. So t- uh, I also want to talk about your fantastic book, Ashes to Ink, a memoir, which was a number one bestseller new release. Uh, the tagline is acceptance struggles to emerge from a cocoon of family secrets. After her parents' divorce in 1974, Lisa Luca's idyllic Midwestern childhood is shattered when she learns her father is gay. 
Sworn to secrecy, she begins carrying the emotions of her family like a cracked bucket, making a mess as she embarks on a life of rebellious choices. It's a story of heartache and the power of forgiveness. Ashes to Ink shines a light on the challenges of living true to who we are. It's an amazing, amazing piece of writing. And I would like to dig a little bit deeper into this book and its subject. So what did your, what was your family's reaction to your exposure in a bigger way of the family secret? Uh, I just got chills when you asked that question. Um, My father had passed. So uh, it was a lot easier to write it. And I knew I could never write my full story with my journey of uh, my complicated relationship with him while he was alive, because he he was a fairly narcissistic guy who did not ever want to be challenged. So I uh, felt very safe about that, yet very close to him. He and I had gotten much closer in the last two years of his life. And so I I had a, a, a deep love and, and uh, fondness while I was writing it um, for him. My mom and my sister, when I started writing it uh, probably about eight years ago, they were not happy. And I wrote, um, I actually, my name, I changed my name, uh, which I've done legally since then, uh, to distance myself from the family even further And my mother did not want to be outed as having been a straight spouse of a gay man. And most of her friends were never knew that. Uh, In fact, we just had her memorial recently and two of her girlfriends came up to me and said, your mother never told me that. Um, I just read your book. I read your book and learned about, you know, her but about your dad who became her best friend after the divorce. My parents were best friends until the day he died. And it was a lovely uh, thing to see my parents uh, be one another's best friend. They were like Will and Grace with kids. And, um, and so, so for me, my mom and my sister, my sister's also gay. And so she wasn't a hundred percent down with me, quote, outing mom. So over the years, we had many discussions and a few arguments over it. And eventually I had distanced myself enough on the page for them to uh, accept what I was writing. But when I sent the manuscript to both of them before publishing it, um, my mother said it was really, really hard for her to read, uh, but that she was proud of me for writing it and that my sister finally understood things that she never understood. And honestly, Maria, it has been the greatest healing between my sister and I over all kinds of family things that are talked about in the book, uh, the resolution of which has been to become really close, especially now with having just lost our mom. Uh, It's such a blessing. And it's so important that people know that they think that they could have a really tough time with family. And yeah, it was tough. But when you open your heart and you share who you are and you let, you you don't throw anybody under the bus and you also take responsibility for your part in the pain and the, the problems, it can be an amazing journey in your family. 
That's beautiful. Beautiful. I am about to write, a, publish a book about our one of our family secrets. Oh. And uh, it took my mom a long time to be on board about it. And uh, she, her way, kind of an Asian safe face way is just don't tell me about it. Yep. Like she, she can pretend it's not happening. Yeah. The Italian Catholic way, isn't that different? <laughs> <laughs> you also yeah. have a couple of other really significant, helpful books. Crone Rising uh, contains one of your pieces and you wrote a book with your partner about it's called You Are Loved. Can you tell us about those? Sure. Uh, Chrome Rising was just a, a fun project. I, I, a lot of writers, uh, it's a really good thing. If you want to be published, you put yourself out there, get, look for collections and anthologies that are looking for submissions. It's a wonderful way for readers to have a sampling of how you write. Um, Crone Rising, you know, I had just turned uh, 60. I was in the process. I had just, I was in the process of changing my name legally. I decided, well, I had my maiden name for the first 30 years and my married name for the next 30 years. And I'm like, why am I hanging on to my ex-husband's name <laughs> when I'm writing under this name and I'm trying to keep these two identities? I'm like, I asked my son, I said, do you care if I change my name? And he's like, as long as it's still mom, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So then I thought, all right. So for the, you know, so it was a big sort of symbolic thing of, of this, of this uh, turning 60. So Crone Rising came up and I submitted and it's a, a sort of a distillation of my story, uh, my journey that, that I go through in ashes to ink uh, in sort of a, a, a almost writer's digest form, you know, reader's mm -hmm. digest, little con, a, a little, a little, um, condensed short story condensed. Right. Yeah. And then you are loved. We, I think it's been almost 10 years now that we published Mark and I had written emails to each other for 10 years as friends. I was dating and then remarried. He was married and unhappy. And we had only ever been friends in the Bay area, uh, before I went on tour with Janet, except for that one night, the night before I went on tour with Janet. <laughs> and there was always sort of in the back of our mind, well, what if that had happened at a different time in our relationship? After eight years, we have the big one night, and then I leave for a year on tour. And by the time we came back from that year, we were both engaged to other people. So um, we went off and had our kids with these other people, and he has a daughter. And so um, when we got together 10 years ago, we were, I, I had kept all his emails and my own to him. And, and so I printed them out and it was a stack, like a foot high. And we sat on the beach and we just started reading them. And he's a writer too. And they're these beautiful missives about life and love and relationship and longing and regret and career and passion and purpose and God and parenting. And so we decided to put them into a book and see if it told our story. And it tells our story through our emails. There's it's all emails. Wow. And you, it's some people like it. Some people didn't like the format. 
because you're really literally reading the emails back and forth and you got to look at the date and see how long it's been. And you see three or four from me and he hasn't replied. And, and it's just, and you don't know what's happening in between because you're only getting the emails. But I got to tell you, it tells our entire love story. And he didn't realize it till we, he had read them all and he sitting there and he puts it on the coffee table, this stack and puts his foot up and he goes, this, you know what this is? This is one hell of a love story. I go, oh, oh. Duh. yeah, dude. Oh my gosh. This makes me want to, this is making me emotional. That is oh my. so beautiful. <laughs> uh, so we did it and it's, it's out there. You are loved. And it's, it's really, it's, if you're, if you're into reading letters, because the epistolary style is so, uh, you know, it's a little bit more, uh, English and a little bit more, you know, from way back that people wrote letters, but there's something beautiful about reading letters from, to one another. I find it so beautiful. Uh, There was something I instituted in my current relationship that, uh, consists of probably a thousand texts right now. And, um, I felt that in my 25 year marriage, we stopped appreciating each other. So I asked my partner if he would do this thing with me where we text each day one thing we appreciate about the other person from the prosaic to the profound. Like, I appreciate that. I love my guy today because he took the trash out without me asking to something deeper. And um, there's a germ of something in my head right now about maybe putting this in an ebook or something. I don't know if I'll do it. He's a pretty private person and I am not. So not sure that that will come to fruition, but I love your story. I'm looking inside of it right now on Amazon and it's just beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. I've got to read that. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, (laughs) it's really fun. And you know, one of the things that I loved about it is that, you know, I think Mark is a brilliant writer as well, and he's working on his own project. It's what what was important was that I didn't want to be the only one to read his beautiful words. I think mm. that he went through such a challenging time of, of his devotion to his daughter and his willingness to see it through until she was in high school. And then also how profoundly sad and unhappy he was to not be seen in his marriage and have just so Mm. much strife with one another. You know, they got married because they had already, you know, they had gotten pregnant and had their daughter. And and it was sort of one of those, you know, she gets your name if you marry me kind of thing. And, and, And that is not how anybody wants to start a marriage. And so that put them off on the wrong foot right away. And And there's a beautiful passage in there that he writes about the picture that he finds of their wedding day, where it's just them holding the baby and there's nobody else there. There's no flowers, no rice, no family members, just my daughter looking like, what do these two nitwits think is going to happen? I'm in the horses, (laughs) right? And and it's just amazing. And so that was really the impetus was like, we wanted the world to be able to, you know, share in some of our more profound and also uh, just longing for that relationship that would make us happy when in fact it was right there all along. You, you talk about Mark, who I have never met as a 
gifted writer. Well, Lisa, you are a gifted writer. I mean, <laughs> look, people, look at lisaluka.com. There are some beautiful passages. There are explanations of her book. There's a blog. There are like many essays sprinkled throughout and connections to her radio show, etc. But uh, let me just read this one thing. I believe we are all artists for art is merely self-expression that evokes emotion. Me, I write. That is why I'm here to share my words, my truth as I know it and connect with others so they may feel something that brings them joy or understanding or piss them off enough to look into their own hearts and ask why. I want to create art that evokes emotion that heals a wound or starts a conversation. And that is beautiful, beautiful Thank words. You. you are a gifted writer. And Thank I you. am so grateful to, to know you, I mean, online and hopefully I'll get to New Mexico someday and meet you in person. But the question that I have never received an identical answer on that I like to ask all my inspiring female guests is the following. What do you do, Lisa Luca, to become your best version? That is an excellent question. I'm glad you ask everyone that question. Mm -hmm. um, for me, and I believe everyone, it is to live true to who you are. And the only way to do that is to find out what that means for you. So the truth of who we are is really knowing ourselves, knowing our motivations, knowing our needs and desires, being willing to express them, knowing our expectations, and, and creating something of ourselves from that place. And like I said, for me, I write. Uh, I also love to play with jewelry, make, you know, little sparkly things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but I, but I think everybody has the the need within us to create something. And it can be, you know, of course, within the arts of music or drawing or painting or, or writing, but also creating a garden or creating a meal from scratch or creating community or just creating anything that wasn't there before that you pour your love and passion in. And there it is mm. to be shared and evoke emotion. Beautiful. You have evoked emotion in me in a way that very few uh, guests have. And I thank you for taking the time out of your busy offerings and coaching business and writing to be on the show and to share your tremendous light with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maria. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful.